Hello, listeners. Thank you for tuning in to the BPL Podcast. I'm Leanne, the Programming Librarian at Bexley Public Library. Today, I'm talking to longtime friend of the library, CEO and founder of Zora's House, L.C. Johnson. So Zora's House is a space where women of color come to work, play, and socialize. It's a physical house uh, in Wyland Park. And since its founding in 2018, the Zora's House ripple effect has been felt throughout central Ohio. For example, more than 2,000 women of color and allies have participated in Zora's House programming and events. Four women of color-owned WOCO markets organized and hosted by Zora's House generated over $75,000 in revenue for local women of color entrepreneurs and artisans. The robust membership network of women of color now spans 13 states and Canada. More than $300,000 has already been raised through campaigns, corporate, and foundation grant development. LC's work is fundamentally a celebration and dedication to Black life. She is a visionary, leader, activist, mother, sister, community builder, and everything in between. Here on the podcast, I strive to bring you guests who are doing creative and important work in our community, and Zora's House has had an incredible year of investment and is gearing up for huge changes that I think you will be very interested in. So I'm really happy to introduce you all to Elsie Johnson and bring her on the BPL podcast to talk about her work founding Zora's House. Elsie Johnson is the CEO and founder of Zora's House in Columbus, Ohio. She is an award-winning writer, entrepreneur, and activist with a passion for empowering women, especially women of color. A dynamic, creative, and committed social justice professional with a well-established entrepreneurial spirit, Elsie has 10-plus years of experience with curriculum development and facilitation, program design, entrepreneurship, public speaking, and community building. She is a recognized subject matter expert whose work and writings on the topic of race and gender have appeared in outlets such as Forbes Magazine, Huffington Post, Black Enterprise, and Policy Mike. Uh, hello. Welcome to the BPL Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. This was definitely a couple months in the making, but I am yes. so glad that we actually made it happen. Yes. Initially, listeners, we were going to record this um, in conjunction with Juneteenth, which ended up being, you know, a huge thing in the news. And so that would have been great, but it didn't end up working out. Um, so thank you so much for joining us now. Um, I've been a fan of yours um, and of Zora's house since we first worked together on Safe Conversations About Race um, back in 2017 when that was here at BPL. And if I remember correctly, that's right when I think you were in sort of the drywall hanging stage at Zora's house. Um, so for our listeners who might not be familiar with you, um, can you tell us about your background and also, of course, about Zora's house? I would love to. So um, my name is Elsie Johnson. I'm the founder and CEO of Zora's house. That is what I do. But who I am, I am a black woman, a mom. I was raised in the South. I moved to um, the Midwest for the first time as an adult. My husband's born and raised here. Um, I will never say pop, so don't even get me started. Um, and you know, I, I do the work of uplifting and empowering 
women of color and do the work of racial equity through the lens of uplifting and empowering women of color. Zora's House is a co-working and community space created by and for women of color. Um, our mission is to um, catalyze and support whatever dreams that women of color have for themselves, their families, and the community as a whole. So we do that through programming, events, um, shared space. Um, our co-working and community space is located in the Wyland Park neighborhood. Um, and then, like I said, we also have, um, you know, a lot of the work that we do is around building community and connecting women of color to each other and opportunities for them to advance um, their goals and, and dreams. Um, and this is a project that has been years in the making. So to give you a little bit of background now, but I actually moved to Columbus in 2015. I was recently married to my husband who is from Columbus, but has been, had been away for about 10 years for college and work. You know, I was at a place of transitioning in my career. We were also thinking about starting a family. So it was just a, a time of like a lot of kind of like transition for me and thinking about what was next. Um, and I was moving to this place where I really did not know anybody except for my husband and his family. I just really felt like I wanted to be in community at the time. So I remember some of those things that I was really grappling with and thinking about. Um, and I don't know about you listeners, but I know that sometimes like when I get something in my head, like it is going to swirl around in my head until I find an opportunity to really talk it out with somebody or think about what that might, um, how that might play out. And so I was really looking for community at that time. And I was particularly in search of community with other women and women of color. And and I think that desire really came from, again, some of the things that I was thinking about and wanting to be in a space where I could really walk through and talk through some of those things without having to constantly give the backstory of, of my identity of talking about, well, that's true, but like as a woman, XYZ is something I have to consider or that's true, but as a black person, like this is something I'm constantly having mm -hmm. to think about. And so I really wanted to be in community with people who got it already. Those really important aspects of my identity so that I could just get straight to the point and not constantly be having to give like backstory and historical context and social context. And I really struggled to find that community. And so, and so the idea for Zora's house was born. That was in December of 2015. And shortly wow. thereafter, really talking to my husband and thinking about what is it going to take to um, actually make this happen. And it was several years in the making, which included in 2016, we purchased a vacant lot. Um, where we built from the ground up what is now Zora's house. Um, and turns out all of these things cost money. They're yes. all of their, <laughs> all of the things cost money. Um, nobody just wanted to take my hopes and dreams and be like, Elsie, you know what? You're right. Let's just give this all to you for free. All the resources you need to make this happen. And so for me, that looked like for the first several years of running Zora's house, I also was working um, full time and I was grateful to be working full time in, in roles that um, were really aligned with me. So at the time when I met Leanne in 2017, um, I was actually working as the director of leadership and social justice programs at the YWCA Columbus. Shout out to YWCA Columbus. 
Harris, um, whose mission is to eliminate racism and empower women. And I had the amazing opportunity to collaborate with Suzanne on a program, uh, Suzanne Roberts, um, Jim White, and the Bexley Public Library on a program called Safe Conversations About Race. So that was just a little piece of uh, the journey on the way to kind of uh, some of the larger things that were still happening in, in my life and, and as Zora's house was getting off the ground. And I definitely, I actually, I want to circle back after we talk a little bit more about Zora's house itself, but I do want to circle back and ask you sort of, because I think so many people are in a period of transition right now or are really looking to do that. Um, so I'm very curious to hear what you would want to say to those people. But first, um, you know, we're talking about all of this growth um, with Zora's house. Um, and recently, especially over the last, I think, like year, two years, um, Zora's house has had uh, major financial investments from um, like the Women's Fund of Central Ohio, whose director, Kelly Griesmer, we actually had on the podcast a couple months ago. And then uh, most recently, if I'm not mistaken, PNC Bank's um, inaugural social justice grant. So congratulations um, for this influx of capital. Can you talk about where all of this um, capital investment is going? In the articles and discussions around Zora's house, buzzy terms like incubator and like community hub come up a lot. And so what does it mean to be you, you talked about when you were talking about trying to find community? What does it mean to support black talent and black entrepreneurship? Um, and what can we expect to see? Yeah, I love that. So do you I, I hope you guys caught that Leanne just asked me like seven questions in one. So I hope I, you know, I just like want to give you you don't have to answer them all. I just want to give people like space to choose and pick and choose and not feel cornered into answering I just, questions. I just have to give this caveat because I'm naturally, I already told you I'm from the South, so I'm naturally long-winded. So I just want you to know that when I now go on to talk for 35 minutes, it's because Leanne just asked me seven me. entire questions. I'll interrupt. Yeah, it's That's fun. perfect. Okay, <laughs> I just, I just, I'm putting the disclaimer out there for the people. <laughs> this is for the people. Um so yeah, I think in order to understand kind of where we're going, I think it's really important to understand where we've been. So I mentioned that in, you know, 2015, I had this idea for Zora's house and I went to, I went to bed one night and I had this dream that I was just in this really cool space and there were all these other like women of color and it was just really, what? yeah, it was, it was this, um, it was amazing. It was like exactly what I had been looking for. And just for context, y'all, like I am not the one who's just like, and then I had a vision and this is like that is not my jam That's exactly right. what you just said like this is okay. <laughs> this is not like usual for me like this is not my usual like okay. okay I just had this vision I knew like this no like I am a very like practical kind of person and so you know I woke up and I was like I want that like I woke up with this this um just feeling of longing like I just had this this feeling of such intense longing and and, and I knew that what was in that vision was what I was wanting what I was craving um, and mm. I also knew at that point that that really just didn't exist. And so that idea for, mm. for Zora's house, um, I remember in December of 2015, we were at a holiday party for my husband's job. And I was talking to um, one of the board members for his organization. And she was just kind of, you know, just making small talk. And she was just like, oh, yeah, like, you know, what do you do? And like, what are you up to? And I literally said out of my mouth, oh, I'm opening up a co-working space for women of color called Zora's House. Now, mind you, I did not have a name. I had, I had not. No it just way. came out. And I was like, okay, 
this clearly needs to happen because it, it it just it was it became very clear for a variety of different reasons that this was something that that really needed to happen and so the first piece of advice that I'm going to weave in when we talk about transitions or even thinking about what's next. I had a a mentor of mine once say something that's really stuck with me. Um, And she was coming in just like uh, I I had seen her speak at this presentation. She was just talking about all this work she was doing in the activism space and all this and all that. And I was just like, no offense, but like, that sounds hard and terrible. Like, it just sounds like stressful. (laughs) Like, you know, I'm like, you know, why, why are you choosing to do this? Why are you choosing to do it this way? And she said something to me, she said, because it will be harder not to. And I think for many of us, we get to a place when we're thinking about what is next for us, or if we should take a certain risk or build the thing or do the thing. I often say like, wait until it gets harder not to do the thing. That is when you will know that like you can't avoid it anymore. It's not something like it it has to, it has to happen. And some things never get there. Some things are just like, eh, I kind of want to do this, but like it's not the end of the world, whether it happens or it doesn't, right? But there are some things that will come to you around, you know, your life, your vocation, your family, um, you know, that that will come to a point where it's harder not to do the thing than it is to actually do it. And I think that's where I was um, in that moment with Zora's house. I was like, okay, this is clearly like my spirit is now speaking for me um, because I certainly did not come in here with any business plan or any like name or branding for what this whole idea was that I had had like a month earlier. And so from there, really talking to my husband and, and getting him involved in, in, um, you know, in in kind of what I was trying to build, knowing that it was going to take sacrifices from both of us Mm -hmm. in order to get this thing off the ground. And at the time we were in the midst of, you know, saving money for our first house. We were young, y'all. We were like in our twenties. We out here like, we're trying to like save for our house. We want to like start a family, this and that. And um, we had become really enamored with either um, the concept of either a tiny house because we were those hipsters. We were like, yes, we're going to build a tiny house and like not have to pay any mortgage. It's because you hadn't done any of these things yet. And so you were like, oh, it's you don't know how hard right, it that's is. That's it. It's just like things. whatever. So you, you're just brave enough. Right. We're just it. like, we're either going to do like a tiny house or we were like, we're going to do an income property, like buy a duplex, rent out the other half. Like we were really into trying not to pay our mortgage. So we were really thinking Mm -hmm. about how can we be really creative about that? So when Zora's house, you know, the idea for Zora's house really started coming to life. I remember approaching my husband and being like, Hey babe, like, you know, like I know we've been thinking about like an income property, but what about like a live work property? Like we can buy the duplex and like Zora's house will operate out of one side. We'll operate out the other side. Like, so so two mortgages instead of right. One. I was like, you know, yeah. Zora, we'll just have we'll have this. You know, we can do a little bit of this. And he yeah. was like, um, the entire purpose of an income property is so that we can have an income generating like tenant, not your like shifty business that like has no like prospects for funding or anything else. But ultimately, we did decide to go that route. And, you know, it, it was the best fit for us, you know, and so we had to get very creative from the beginning, because as I mentioned, we were both young, 
We were um, in the nonprofit sector. Neither one of us comes from um, families with any type of real means. And so when it came to building from the ground up or thinking about how do we actually make this physical space happen? Um, and where were we going to get the resources for that? And so what we ultimately decided to do was we decided to purchase a property uh, a lot and essentially get a residential construction loan, like the type of loan that you would get if you're building a house. Because we knew that um, we would have better luck as young Black professionals getting residential construction loan than a commercial construction loan. And even then, we definitely encountered some bias um, when we were looking for loans. It was really interesting. Our first loan um, ended up falling through and it had to do with they were like, oh, your student loan debt is like, you know, you have too much student loan debt. And we had excellent credit. We had all of everything was being paid and we had our um, student loans were like being deferred. So it was like our finances were in really good shape and they were just like, oh no, this is like too much student loan debt. And they couldn't really explain to us. Like we kind of told them, well, actually like, no, like if you look at this, like this is how much we're actually paying. And they're like, we can't look at that. Um, like they couldn't look at income adjusted payments. They're like, we can only look at the max amount that you could. So it was just a very, um, complex situation. And the first financing ended up falling through. And then we were able to find another bank, um, in Michigan that was going to allow us to put down a, a smaller down down payment. And I share all these details because I think this is important, right? When it comes to, mm -hmm. you know, the story of Zora's house and, and how this came right. to be. There's, there's a story here of creativity and resilience and trying to be really thoughtful around what resources are available and, and how, um, and how we harness those resources. Um, even when we know we don't have access to the amount of resources that maybe we should have, um, we still think creatively. And so really thinking about that, we ended up building a property with a house and a guest house at the back of the property. Um, we live in the guest house, which has been really fun during COVID with our two kids. Um, we, at the time, did not have any children when we were making this plan, um, you know, and then Zora's house is in the main house. And so um, we were able to build from the ground up. And the story of Zora's house, like I said, is really a story of creativity and community because from the very beginning, as I mentioned, I have always had a full-time job. And so for Zora's house to open, we actually recruited or I, I recruited this crew of what, what we call ambassadors who are basically women of color who said, you know what, I'll commit to six months of being in the space at least eight hours a week um, and would come in and literally just like run the space. Like they were the face of Zora's house. And so from the very beginning, it was this space of community and co-creation. And we believe that not only is this space important, but that it's possible. And so how do we activate that belief in community with one another? And it was really beautiful just to see, you know, just to see how we were supported in that way. Mm -hmm. So it's been interesting because Zora's house opened formally in, in um, April of 2018 with our crew of volunteers, me working full time. You working full time, to be clear, not at Zora's house with like a nine to five. That's right. 
That is correct. So me working, juggling a nine to five job, um, you know, working Zora's house on weekends, waking up early, just really hustling with essentially like two full-time jobs. Our son was actually born the day that we broke ground on Zora's house. So in February of 2017, we broke ground on Zora's house. Our son was born. So when Zora's house opened, he was about a year old. So I had like an infant. I was juggling a full-time job, trying to build this thing in community, something that had never happened before to have this type of space dedicated to women of color. And so the early days of Zora's house, there was a lot of community engagement. There were a lot of folks who had to pour into that, um, into Zora's house for it to be what it was uh, what it needed to be because I, I had the vision for it, but it was really created in community. And so for the past, you know, three years, it was all of the juggling. It was the juggling with family life. It was the juggling with the full-time job, really demanding work during, during a demanding time. And so, you know, I was really, I was, I was starting to burn out. And in 2019, um, I really started, I, I told everybody that I could tell, I was like, if we can't, if I can't go full-time, um, because at that point it had been a year and a half. And I was like, if I can't go full-time at Zora's house, like I can't do this anymore. I was like, I have to, wow. I have to figure this out. And so I made a job transition. I took on a new role. I left the YWCA in 2019. I took on a two-year contract um, to serve as the director of community entrepreneurship for Franklin County. And it was a two-year incubator, um, a two-year project. And I said, at the end of this, I either go full-time at Zora's house or, or else, or else. I'm not even going to say what else, but just else. Right. Like, you know, because mm-hmm. I knew I was wow. like, I can't keep doing this. I am exhausted. And so, you know, we got to, we spent all of 2019 really thinking about, you know, strategically, how do we take this, this organization that has been really grown from the ground up, like in community with all these really cool people. And how do we start thinking about this as, um, you know, formalizing it as an organization, like exactly. And, and trying to think about sustainability. So we, we actually um, participate in a program that the United Way does called Cause Impact. And it's like for social enterprises or nonprofits that are building social enterprises. And it was amazing. They really helped us think through our business model and like all of these different things, right? So we, we spent all of 2019, we're like, all right, we got it. We know what we're going to do. We got set to launch this new revenue generating program we were super excited about called the residency program, which where people would like travel to central Ohio and like stay at Zora's house. Like no. you see where this is going. You see where this is going. Yeah. So we yeah, had this whole plan. The residency was so amazing. It was this concept, this residential incubator where women of color, you know, writers, um, academics, activists, and entrepreneurs could come stay at Zora's house for up to five days and work on a project um, that was meaningful to them. And I, I love that somebody said I was describing the program to them and they said, oh my gosh, it just sounds like a vacation, just me alone with my brain. And I'm just like, yeah. Yes. And for so many women of color, like we rarely get those opportunities for a lot of us, period. Um, And then women, definitely. And then women of color, you already know. Um, 
And so we were just so excited. We're like, we got this business plan. We have our program. We piloted in 2019, set to launch in March of 2020. We were just like, we got it all, right? And so 2020 comes around. And by the way, I was pregnant again. So I was also pregnant with our second child during the, during 2019. Our child was born in December of 2019. So our daughter was born. We had done all this work and I said, great. I'm going to take off December and January and come back mid-February and we'll just really like start to ramp up. And during that time, I said take off, but I was actually, I actually participated and won two pitch competitions um, in early 2020. So, I mean, I was revved up. I was like, oh, this is definitely going to happen. I'm going to be able to raise the money we need for me to go full time. We're going to, we're getting sustainable. Needless to say, I was about a month, one week off of my maternity leave when we got the shutdown order and the whole world was different, you know, and it was, it was devastating on so many different levels. Um, It was devastating to me personally it just because all of our plans, every plan that we had just went out the window. We had spent a year. And I think for me, when I talk about that devastation, it wasn't just that like, you know, oh, the plan has to change. It was that I was so burnt out and that felt like my lifeline, this idea that something different was possible um, and that we had like put everything together. We spent all this time building it and then it was like, never mind. Um, and it was really devastating. It was truly devastating at that time. How am I, how am I talking to you now a year and a half after that moment? And we st- we're still talking about Zora's house. And not only that, but but a, w- there's still growth coming up. The Community Properties of Ohio donated the former site of the D&J carryout in Wyland Park for this like new building. Um, and so um, I was reading that you so Zora's house is launching a two point five million dollar capital campaign to, to construct a new 10,000 square foot building with the goal of opening in 2022. So how did we get, you know, from. From last year, I mean, and I just, you know, I, I well up when I think about last March and I feel like I've talked to so many people who's, you know, something was about to start, you know, last in the spring of 2020, you know, hearing you talk about the burnout, I think it's something so many of us have experienced, especially, I mean, you were already there, then COVID happened. And so how did you get now to, to this next phase? Like, how did you get through that? What... Do you have any advice? And it's okay if you don't, because that's a giant question. But you know, what, what was your experience? And how am I talking to you now? I love that question. And I love thinking about how did we get there? So as I mentioned, I I had this huge moment of devastation. um, And then, you know, it was one of those things where you know, all of a sudden, I think part of what was um, maybe the most challenging was that immediately thereafter, you know, so my kids' daycare is shut down. So now I have a newborn and a three-year-old, both at home with me, my husband who works in the nonprofit sector. Um, but because of the work that he does, he was a frontline person because there were certain programs they could not shut down. So he, you know, being frontline, still going into the office, our three-year-old and our three-month-old at home with me, I was working in community entrepreneurship and black and brown communities, which we know that immediately with that shutdown, that those are the communities that got hit the hardest. And then I had a co-working space (laughs) open. So all of a sudden, I felt like every area of my life was asking more from me than it had ever. 
and I had the least to give than I've ever had to give while everybody was asking for more than they had ever asked before. And I think, um, you know, I think back to that moment and, and specifically that was a huge leadership transition for me with Zora's house. So previous to that, I think, you know, we have been doing all this really amazing work in community. Um, but like many women, you know, I really suffered from some imposter syndrome. So I had done all this growth. I mean, we'd been written up about, we, we had all this support and I was still like, oh, Zora's house, no big deal. Just this little thing that I do, right? Like, you know, still just very much like, um, shrinking when people would talk about it and being like, oh no, it's no big deal. Or like, eh, no, nothing, nothing you need to know about. Right. And, um, and so I remember in that moment, people being like, well, what's going to happen with the space? Like, you know, are we closing? And all of a sudden I was making, I was realizing just the weight of that leadership and making those decisions um, for the community that I care about. So this community that had come up around Zora's house, this community of women of color and allies looking to me to lead and say like, in this moment of extreme uncertainty, LC, like, what do we do? And it was, it was a, a huge um, time for me and just my growth and saying like, okay, so I guess I need to like, I guess this isn't just some little thing that I do. Like this is something that has become an anchor in the community in this particular way. So, you know, we actually shut down the space. We did a fundraiser and we raised enough money to do three weeks of emergency childcare. Cause one of the things that we heard from a lot of our members and community was that, what are we supposed to do with our kids? Stuff like is shut down and people had not had a chance to make arrangements. So they were just like, we need help, right? So we actually, within 24 hours, and this just goes to show how amazing our community is, including our community of allies. I put up, up a Facebook stat. I said, y'all, we need to raise some money to do this childcare. We raised it in a day. Wow. We raised $3,000 in a day wow. to just be able to to get that, that childcare resource out to our community members and our neighbors here in Wiling in Wyland Park. And then as soon as that was done, you know, we said, but we're closed for co-working. So we opened up the space to be kind of small group community childcare for folks who needed that support for those kind of initial three weeks. And then we said, okay, well, we'll just, it's actually not that big of a deal. We'll close down. We'll open back up in the summertime. Like everybody says that by the summer, this whole thing will be over. Like we'll be done you know, whatever. So I'm just not even making long-term plans. And honestly, you guys, I was kind of like, I was almost a little happy to be like, you know what? I'm just taking this off my plate. Zora's house is going to close down. And it really is a testament to our community that we reached out to folks and we said, and the fact that we are so much bigger than a space, but it truly is about community. We reached out to all of our members and we said, hey, we got to close down the space. So we totally understand if you guys want to cancel your memberships or whatever, you know, whatever you guys need to do. 100% of people emailed me and were like, girl, no, we, Zora's house needs to exist. Y'all still have bills to pay. Like this is, this is bigger than, you know, just, oh, can I come in here and send emails? This is about we invest in Zora's house because Zora's house needs to exist. That means it's not just about when I can utilize the space, but it's about can we sustain the space and make sure that this space can open again when um, COVID 
when COVID is over, right? And so it was really powerful to see that kind of shift, to know that like, even with our members, that that relationship is not transactional. It's not about what can you give me and I will pay you equivalent to exactly what you can give me right now. Mm -hmm. Um, But it really was, we believe this is a community asset and anchor and like, how do we invest in Zora's house to make sure that Zora's house is sustained during this time? And I was really processing too, just like the fact that a lot of the funding conversations that I had been having. So that momentum really came to a screeching halt and people were like, uh, we actually need to focus on immediate needs, right? Like we're focusing on housing, housing security, like poverty, like hunger security, you know, we're, we're not funding Zora's house right now. And so that was interesting too, in a conversation for another day, because I do think that while I understand that I, I often feel that the well-being of women of color gets to be the first thing that gets pushed off the table as soon as something else comes up, right? And it's like, while I understand that there was a need to really focus our attention on some emergency um, triage uh, for for really vulnerable communities, I also understand that this is a historical trend, right? So it's not not isolated to this particular moment, but very usual for women of color and our well-being to be the first thing that gets xed when it's like uh we don't have we don't have an excess of resources so goodbye this is the thing that we're going to get rid of first right um and so that was really hard and it's very frustrating because i think ann helen peterson wrote in one of like one of her newsletters she it was like other countries have a social safety net and the united states has women and Mm -hmm. obviously like women of color are the like you're saying they're the first to get knocked off you know in terms of caring about well-being and I think Kelly actually Kelly Griesmer from the Women's Fund had quoted you when when I interviewed her about how when funding goes to women of color, it's often focused on just um, well, not just but on very things that are very important like housing or food security, but it never goes beyond that. And that's one of the reasons why Zora's house is so important, because it's more holistic than just not and again, not just but then food security or these things that really the system is failing us. And then it's up to nonprofits to like put that back together. Yeah. And that's something that we, we know it is something that we talk about because we often talk about how funders look at women of color through this lens of survival. Right. And just saying like, all right, you know, do you have, and it's kind of like, do you have a roof over your shoulder? Do you have a, you know, do you have food? Do you have these very extremely bare minimum? Exactly. And then it's kind of like, okay, that's good enough for you. Right. It's like, how is that just good enough Mm -mm. for us when other people get, right. right. And it's like other people get resources into their holistic health, into their leadership, into their ideas, into their businesses. But it's like, well, that's like, what, you got food and you got, you know, this low income housing, like don't ask for anything else right um and so that was that was definitely a a place that we were navigating in the early part of the pandemic so zora's house really went on hold then the summer happened and you know christian cooper and brianna taylor and ahmaud aubrey and george floyd happened right and and one after another and for reasons that numerous people smarter than me have speculated about um what it was about those moments that said maybe it was that we were all home 
that we were all, we didn't, we weren't distracted. We were all antsy anyway. Um, and then we, for some reason as a country, right, really witnessed, we didn't just, we didn't just see something happen, but I think we witnessed something happen. And that to me is a difference because black folks have been witnessing that for a long time, not just seeing it, but feeling it, but understanding the weight of it. Right. And, and that is what it means to bear witness, um, versus to say like, oh yeah, I saw this. I saw this in the news, but did you bear witness to what happened? And I think for the first time as a country, we bore witness to something that really sparked a larger conversation around racial justice and, and on not just a national scale, but globally. Right. And so then all of a sudden people were like, knock, knock, wait a minute, Zora's house. We found all of this additional funding for racial justice, like surprise. Hey girl. So yeah. And I think the, the positive of that was that all of a sudden we were, we were seeing that maybe this was, or we were having other folks recognizing the importance of the work that Zora's house had been doing. Mm -hmm. But, but I think the challenge was it was, at the same time that it very much still felt like it was not on our terms, right? Uh, so all of a sudden, yes. like predominantly white organizations um, and corporations, these larger organizations and things like that were saying, wait, we need to like pay attention to this. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so they came into this funding space, but also a very little plan with little context about the work that had been done. So all of a sudden, the folks who were up to be able to potentially receive this funding, we're also having to act as educators Mm. and having to extend all of this additional like information and like really be, um, you know, uh, really have to attune to funders who are not used to being in the space and they're like disruptive processes and timelines that weren't really responsive to how the work actually gets done because they were new to the space. Right. And so, I think it was definitely a blessing and a curse in a lot of ways. And this is at the same time that many of us who had been doing that work for some time were exhausted, right? Like I, I was, I, we're, we're six months into a global pandemic, three or no, four or five months into a global pandemic, um, shut down at home with our kids. Our communities are the ones being hit the hardest. And then all of a sudden, like I'm processing this, like literally as a black woman, as a mother raising two black kids. And I'm still having to like, educate and extend myself in all of these different leadership ways. Mm. And so um, it was just a, it was a really challenging time. But I think the thing that got us from where we were in that moment to where we are now is that I always knew that our, the work of Zora's house is not disposable work mm. and that it wasn't something that was, you know, that we could just say, oh, we don't need this right now. Right. I always knew how, important our work was but I think all of a sudden it became a lot easier to make the case and and allow other people to understand how critical that work was I think some of the things that happened during the pandemic that were really amazing was right after George Floyd was killed, Zora's house organized a series of healing circles Mm. that went out to um that were specifically for women of color. So we did four in, in that week. We did one for black women, one one for non-black women of color, one for white women allies, and one for healers. So these are all women who had been 
you know, really thinking about how do we move through like what's happening right now and process like how we're feeling about George Floyd, recognizing that like each of those populations, mm-hmm. like for black women, that was going to hit a particular way, right? right? Like that was going to hit in a specific way. Zora's house is a space for women of color. And so for many non-black women, right? Like they were processing that because we know that in a lot of non-black communities of color, there's still a lot of anti-black racism, right? And so how do you talk to your family who, you know, still may have some of these beliefs or these things like how do you build solidarity with black women in this moment and so really wanting to say let's address all of these specific needs for white women who are allies like how are you moving through this moment and what is this what does this look like right and recognizing like I, LC, I'm not going to lie. I don't want to process this, this with you, Leanne. Like, Mm-mm, I don't. Nope. I don't want to process my I, feelings. Yeah. And I don't want to process your feelings about George Floyd. I don't want to do that together right now, right? But I can still recognize that I need a space. And Leanne, you need a space. And so Zora's mm-hmm. House created those right. spaces. And it was really phenomenal because we got such attendance from those. And not for people outside of Central Ohio, because they were our first virtual events. And they were based on... You know, it's just based on what was needed in the moment. And it's something that I think, I mean, I learned this from you literally in 2017, but from you and Suzanne and people doing the work. But it's something that I think, especially in white communities, is very lacking, is that sense of community and a place where you can go with other people who are at the same we talk about when you're on the journey, who are at sort of the same place who where you can process that without then forcing black people to do the labor of education for you. And so to listeners, like find Absolutely. those communities if you're interested in doing that, you know, so that you're not alone. This isn't easy stuff. You don't need to process or go through it alone. But also, let's make sure we're not always asking the black people in our communities to educate us and do that emotional labor on top of everything else. Um, 100%. 100%. And I think you pulled out something when you said, you know, white folks don't always have that immediate sense of community. And and one of the, you know, I think there is a lot of negative that comes from what happens when folks are othered, right, based on race or ethnicity. Um, but yes, there's also something really, right, there's a lot. So y'all need to hear me say that. Don't be out here like, well, Elsie said it's not really that bad. Because <laughs> I am I am about to give you a pro, but I don't want you going out here. Don't misquote. There is a lot. Most of it is bad. Most of it okay? is bad. Most of it is very bad. Most of, 90% is bad. Very bad. Um, but I think the thing that is really powerful is that for those of us non-white communities, right, like our racial and ethnic identities, like are seen as something that is unique to us, right? Whereas whiteness is something that's kind of like the baseline, the way that we've built our 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 uh company, our, our whole country, our whole culture around whiteness, so that it feels so pervasive that a lot of times white folks are just like, I don't know, I'm just me. And I'm just like, well, I'm me, but I'm also black. So I don't ugh, I don't know what to tell you, right? So like I said, most of it very bad, but there's some really powerful like sense of identity and community that comes from having that, right? So I can look at other black women and be like, what up, black girl? What's going on? You know, and and that be okay, right? right? Um, but we ended up launching a virtual membership um, because we had so many people reaching out to us and saying, how do we stay involved? We want to be a part of this community. And we said, you know what? Like, 
if 50 of y'all, I remember sending an email, I said, if 50 of y'all email me and you say, LC, like, I'll sign up right now to, like, just help you test it. Like, we know you don't have a thing. I was like, we will build this together, but I need enough of y'all to say yes to make it worthwhile because I'm out here trying to do all of these things. We got 50 people. We built the thing. Our membership is across 13 states, UK, and Canada. So this is incredible. And I wanted to ask you about this. So, um... Because you've attracted attracted members from around the country and uh, around the world. And when you were first building Zora's house, I remember, you know, you saying or reading that this is the only space. This is unique to, at least at the time, to the country. There isn't anything like this. And so it definitely seems like something because it's, again, it's a community space. It's an incubator. It's, you know, for business and entrepreneurs and this holistic thing. It seems like something that really you would have thought would have sprung up on like the East or West Coast in these very, you know, like, quote unquote, innovative spaces. So would you like to talk about Columbus at all? Like how has being in the city impacted the work at all? I have a feeling that no matter where you and your husband lived, this would that would have been where Zora's house was. Um, but since, you know, you're in Wyland Park, you're opening or, you know, we're hopefully, you know, going to open this 10,000 square foot new space in Wyland Park. Um, how has Columbus impacted the work? Yeah, so I think, you know, as I mentioned, you know, I'm from the South and growing up in the Southeast, um, you know, the history of Blackness and Black people and Black culture is so prevalent. And a lot of it is really painful and traumatic because you have a lot there that's around slavery and Jim Crow and what happened, but it's so present. Um, and, and one of the things that was really interesting and hard for me when I moved to the Midwest is that the Black experience is almost invisible here, right? People just assume that there are no Black people in the Absolutely. Midwest, right? They're just like, Absolutely. well, how do you even do this? It's like, mm-hmm. do y'all have enough Black people to even do that, right? And so even though we are a space for, and that goes for many communities of color, right? Like right. you think of like the um, population of Latinas and you think, oh, well, this is either, you're either New York and Brooklyn if you're from the Caribbean or your Southwest if you're from Mexico and like that's all we got like you know so so oftentimes the Midwest is not really seen as a melting pot the way some other communities are Mm -hmm. which is really fascinating because if you look at the numbers in Columbus and you see how fast Columbus is growing all of that growth in the last two in the last two to five years has been from new Americans and people of color. The white population in this area is actually declining. So like when you talk about that growth, we're actually getting more and more diverse every single year. So that national narrative around um, the Midwest being this like extremely white, just like cornfields, rural yeah, exactly. white folks right. um, that 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 percolates through our, our national understanding is also how I think some Sometimes folks folks see it here and, and talk about it in the Midwest. And so doing this work here has been really amazing because I think once again it's it's taking a story that has been intentionally made invisible. Yes, exactly. That really wasn't saying, an accident that that's right, that I grew that's up right. not you know, that every oh we don't you know, we don't have people of color or there's no diversity here. It's not an accident that that happens when things are intentionally left out or we are only covering, you know, a certain type of thing in our literature, art, news, you know, an o- only one person's story, which is white people, then yeah, it's intentionally left out, left out of the story. 
that's exactly right. So just, I, I think taking the story that had been made very intentionally invisible and starting to say, you know what, actually we are here. We deserve space. We're contributing. We deserve resources to contribute our ideas and our leadership to how this city is growing. Um, and so doing the work here in, in Columbus has been really amazing. And in fact, although we do have plans to eventually continue to grow outside of central Ohio, you know, our initial first, you know, communities, I think are going to be Midwestern, you know, because we want to continue Love to, that. <laughs> um, exactly to increase that narrative and, and really provide that type of space that many Midwestern cities in particular, which are growing fairly quickly, do not necessarily have, they have the community, but they don't have that kind of like, um, a resource like Zora's house, which as you exist, might exist in Atlanta or Oakland or whatever, but you're not going to see it in Pittsburgh and Indy and you know what I mean? Like some of the Kansas City, like, you know, you're not going to see it there. So I guess kind of just wrapping the conversation in a, in a little bit to, to finally answer, I think, number seven of the seven com- of the seven <laughs> questions. Um, but to get back to what's happening next. And, yes. and so I kind of told you how we got here. So in terms of what's happening next. So you're absolutely right. We did um, we did acquire a property which was generously donated from our community um, partner of uh, CPO, which is Community Property uh, of Ohio. And we are are extremely excited. So the one thing I will correct is that we're actually raising four million dollars. Oh, four million, so, yay! No big deal. Okay, just just a casual. casual I know you you got some mil. some listeners in in Bexley, so you know just a just a casual four mil. If you got it, let me know. I'm gonna give my contact info. Um, but the two point five is actually going to be just strictly for the construction of the building and then we have money in there to actually furnish the building and provide some operating runway for those first couple years as we are transitioning into the larger space but I'm really excited about what's to come I think you know for the first couple years Zora's house was almost 100% supported financially and otherwise through our grassroots community I think through the people that understand and know the need for Zora's house. So now we're getting a chance to really expand our mission to help other people who aren't as directly connected or may not be at that place in their journey where they're as aware of a resource like like Zora's house to really start to connect with them and, and talk to them about, well, this is what we're doing. Mm-hmm. This is what we're building. And like, how do we get you involved in being a part of, um, you know, Zora's house and, and our legacy in this community? Because that's what we're here for, you know? And I Absolutely. think that building that permanent location for us um, it feels like saying we're not going anywhere and that is a powerful statement it was a powerful statement yesterday it's a powerful statement today and it will become even more powerful in the years to come absolutely that's wonderful um well congratulations on all of that it's truly i mean you you said it's resilience and that is definitely the the word that i can think of for for y'all after after last year so before we ask um, you to explain how we can get involved at Zora's House and if people want to become members, how they do that, um, I like to ask all of our guests, what are you reading, watching, listening to, or playing right now that you want to recommend or talk about? 
Love that. So I have been reading so much. So I have um, multiple lists of recommendations. So I'm actually reading, I'm speaking on a panel for the Columbus Metropolitan Library in about a week. And I'm reading Eloquent Rage by Brittany Cooper for that panel. Um, I also just had... Would you recommend it? Yes, it's phenomenal. Okay, great. I also have not started, but a good friend of mine just uh, sent me the book, You Are Your Best Thing. Oh, by... Uh, Tanara Burke, right? Exactly. And so Brown? it's by exactly yeah, Brene yeah. <laughs> Brown and Tarana Burke, who did this anthology, and it really talks about vulnerability, shame, resilience, and the Black experience, which I'm extremely excited to jump into. So on the like nonfiction, um, I am reading both of those as well as. The Body is Not an Apology um, by Sonia Renee Taylor. This is another really good one. Talks about the power of radical self-love, but I think it's not the type of self-love that you hear like light a candle. I mean, it really is talking about body and like what, um, how we move through kind of like our understanding of our bodies. And it's, it's just really, I'm really excited to dig into that. So on the, awesome. the, um, so on the nonfiction, that is what I'm reading on the fiction. I have been in super into, um, sci-fi nice. recently and fantasy, uh-huh. um, which I'm always into that, but I've been like particularly okay. into it, um, this year. And I have a couple recommendations. Sorry, you got me talking about books. I love this. Like, no, this, this is podcast great. is about to be, um, I'm showing Leanne right now. Like I have a whole, I like keep track of all the books that I'm, I have like a whole bullet journal that is fully dedicated to books. Um, and I have read, I have literally read so much this year. I'm just like, so the couple books that I, that I would really recommend. So first of all, the audiobook of Zora Neale Hurston, um, Dirt Tracks on a Road, phenomenal. You really want to get the audio. Zora Neale Hurston has such a fascinating history. She is a phenomenal writer, but she does write in dialect. So if you're not familiar with reading very strong Southern dialect, which many of us are not, it can be a little bit harder to get through her book. So I would very much recommend the audiobook. The perf- the the woman who performs the audiobook is phenomenal. She gets the accents. You just can get completely engrossed in the story. And Zora Neale Hurston's life um, is fascinating. So she, that is who... This one is called uh, uh, Dust Tracks on a Road okay. by Zora Neale Hurston. Um, Honey Girl by... Morgan Rogers. So this is a queer romance about a black woman um, and a partner that she meets when she who she drunkenly uh, marries in Vegas. Um, And then the relationship that they build afterwards. But there's a lot in there that really talks about, um, you know, the young woman is a PhD student who recently graduates, and she's just dealing a lot with perfectionism and family expectations. Um, And so it's, it's just a really powerful story that's super easy to read but just phenomenal other one that I would say um that I really loved was um Little Fires Everywhere by Celeste Ng so it was a Hulu series I remember seeing it I saw you know Octavia um I saw um who I care Carrie Washington I was about to say Olivia Pope and I was like, that's not correct. Or is it? It is. Um, right, right. So I, I remember seeing it come out and I was like, Oh, what's this book about? Like, you know, or what's this, this series about? And then it just so happened I was looking through my Libby app, which is like a library app. If you guys don't have it, it's amazing. And I was looking for books that were available right then. And I saw Little Fires and Celeste Ng is a, is a, um, 
Asian American author who I'd been wanting to yeah. try out for some time. I was like, whatever, I'll just try it, dog. It was so good. I was engrossed. It is so good. So yes, anyway, I'm about to tell you guys how to keep in touch with me. If you want more book recommendations, I just pulled out like my entire, like I said, bullet journal. And I have at least like five or six more books that I'm just like, these were like my five star reads so far this year that were amazing. Okay. And so how do people get involved um, with Zora's house? Like if um, um, if you're a woman of color out there and you want to become a member, how do you do that? If you're an ally, how do we support? Um, give us the whole rundown and anything or anyone you'd like to plug as well. Please go ahead. For sure. So you guys can find us on www.zorashouse.com, not .org. So zorashouse.com. And you can find information about membership. You can find information about upcoming events. Um, you can donate to Zora's House, which is always a really great way for allies to support. And you can also just jump on our newsletter. So our newsletter tells you um, it's a very it's not boring. So I will I will say that I can attest um, to that. I am on the newsletter. It is not boring. It's one of the better it newsletters is not to boring. get. Yeah. So we try to you know really keep the the content kind of like relevant and thinking about what's going on not just at Zora's House but with women of color overarchingly and and use that as a tool. But um, if you are interested, I would say join the newsletter, learn about events, um, uh, become a donor. Even if you donate $5, you become part of our donor community. And I send behind the scenes kind of like monthly videos with updates on what we're up to. And um, yeah, it's just really fun. So those are all really great ways. And, and for the most part, you can find all of that on our website. If you want to follow me personally, you can find me on um, Facebook and Instagram. And you can find me on Twitter, but I'm never really on there. Um, but my handle on all of those platforms is no one does it like LC. It's just no, the letter one does it like LC, the letter is LC. So if you want to find me, no one does it like LC. If you want to find Zora's house, it's zorashouse.com or Zora's house 614 on every social media platform. Okay. Well, thank you so much for spending so much time with us today. Um, incredible work. Congratulations on all of the things. Um, and thanks for being with us today. Yes. Thank you so much. This was awesome. I really appreciated it. Thank you for tuning into the BPL podcast today. Again, I'm your host, Leanne. I hope you enjoyed. Today, I was talking with the founder and CEO of Zora's House, Elsie Johnson. If you liked what you heard, please help us grow by telling a friend, rate us five stars, and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Let me know what you liked about the podcast and any suggestions you may have for future topics and guests, especially topics that you feel are really interesting or important to your neighborhood and community by emailing me at podcast at bexleylibrary.org. Find out about upcoming Bexley Public Library events at www.bexleylibrary.org. Follow Bexley Public Library across platforms at Bexley Library. Thanks for listening.